December 2018. December 2, 2018. Tonight, exactly one year ago, we sat down for dinner as a family, all of us, after being gone for a few days in Kansas City with Savannah and her soccer team's Final Four run. My birthday happened while we were gone, and something that weighed heavily on my mind was that Logan had never acknowledged it. I remember trying to have fun at dinner in Kansas City with a group of people, but thinking and wondering if I would actually hear from him. It had consumed me. He didn't text, he didn't call, and there was no card when I returned home. I always tried to shake it off and blame his chemistry makeup, but I longed to feel important again to him in the last couple years. He had been so much happier and engaged in the last couple months, but very recently, something had started to seem off again. He had been hanging downstairs in his room a lot more, and I was preparing to bring it up in conversation. I always hated that part, but felt as his mom I needed to. But still, I thought we were in a new place. He had once struggled with acknowledging special events, but certainly he wouldn't actually forget it was my birthday, would he? He was so much better at asking me about my day in the last year. Back to Sunday dinner. I was angry, or maybe I was hurt. Either way, the mood changed when I blurted out, You know it was my birthday. We were sitting side by side, but my body language was shifted away. He slowly, quietly answered, Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. I forgot, and then when I remembered, I was embarrassed, so I didn't say anything. My response, well, next time better late than never. I don't remember saying much else that night. My feelings were hurt. I'm not sure he did either. I only had two more weeks with him at that point. If I had known that, how differently would I have responded? If I knew he was struggling, so wouldn't I have just hugged him and told him how much I loved him, that it was okay? Shouldn't I have known something more was wrong? Couldn't I have been more forgiving? Logan was obviously struggling with focus, memory, and even feelings. He was already feeling numb, and I'm guessing every minute was weighing on him. I am hanging on to the fact that as he worked so hard to live, he did have just enough energy to apologize. We later found out he had called in sick a couple of days in the last weeks. It was probably during this time we were gone, because I hadn't known of any time he had missed an entire day of work. While I was selfishly thinking about my birthday, my son was struggling with living. Maybe he didn't even get out of bed that day. Who are you sitting with at the dinner table? Are they letting you down? Maybe there is a reason for that. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag depression is a disease. Hashtag miss him so much. December 3rd, 2018. Memories on Facebook. Logan is becoming less and less in them. Now that a year has come and gone, the memories of him seem to be of grieving posts. I didn't even really used to look at my memories, but in the past year, I search for them for any remnants of my Logan. Of a time when he walked the earth. It sounds like I'm searching for dinosaurs. Sometimes it feels like that already. I was so excited, angry, happy, weepy, proud, 
in pain, and more when I saw this. He was so smart and so proud of his school and team this day. Why couldn't he hang on to these days? Hashtag miss him so much. December 4th, 2018. Four years ago, a post on Facebook in memories. Light will always overcome darkness. So crazy I posted this three years ago. Let me tell you, it still holds true. Don't get me wrong. There is a fair amount of darkness in my life, but thank goodness the light is brighter. Where I find the hardest time to be is in my bed at night, where it's dark. The dark leaves my mind free to wander. When there is nothing to actually see, it's then when I create things to see. A dangerous place to be. It's where I cry the most. So I have to be extra careful in the dark. I have to search for physical light sometimes. It's there, but sometimes that means opening my eyes to see it. Even if it's the tiniest amount of light, the street light outside my window, or turning my phone to see the time. But even a tiny bit gives me hope. Hope that it's not completely dark. That I won't be left in the black for very long. That light is out there, and the sun will shine again in the morning. But that's just physical light. God is my mental light. When I'm in the dark and in those dark places, I remember that with the light of the morning, a new day will be here. That he has a purpose and meaning to my thoughts, and he is excited to turn them into good. As I remember these things, my thoughts usually turn to better ones and then wander pleasantly from there. Sometimes I let the dark last longer before turning to him. Not sure why we torture ourselves like this. But when I do remember him, it doesn't matter what I'm thinking or what has happened to me that day. There is an eternal picture. Get a grip on eternity, on the world to come. It's the best thing that has happened in my life, to my over-analytical mind. If you can learn to live your life in light of eternity, I promise your perspective will change. Isn't it crazy how any amount, any amount of light causes it to not be completely dark? And then it appears so much bigger than it is. All the dark in the world can't stop even a speck of light. You can always find the smallest amount of light. Hang on to that. That's God. He is bigger than any amount of the world's darkness. Hold a match up to the wall. Light has no shadow. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, verse 5. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag hope. December 5th, 2018. Today my grandma turned 92. Because Logan's birthday is also early December, we often celebrated them together. In 2016, we had an extended family bash. So glad we got this picture of my grandma turning 90 with so many of her grandkids and great-grandkids. Oh, did Logan seem to love that evening because we played board games after the celebration into the night. On the drive home, he was in a particularly good mood, and we had more than just a brief conversation. Logan had just decided to quit going to college after three years, and I was throwing out my last-ditch effort words 
to persuade him to take even just one class. While it didn't convince him, it was a pleasant talk in that I tried to listen more than talk and understand more than argue. He did a lot of talking that night, and I'm so thankful I was able to convince him into going. I look at these memories and I wonder, how fake are these smiles? Was he really having fun? Had the thought remotely crossed his mind to end his life at this time? Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. December 7th, 2018. I'm having a moment and felt like writing. Suicide. This is such a huge part of my life now, and I'm reminded of it constantly. A text from a friend thinking about me. She knows this time is so hard. A text invite for a board game night for our family. This friend is always thinking of ways to honor my son. A card in the mail. Another friend is thinking about my birthday and all the events in the next couple weeks. An email from a relative. I haven't opened it yet, but it has the headline, Preventing Teen Suicide. I open up Facebook, and a new friend is posting how she can't do Christmas cards. Her daughter took her life this year. I haven't met her, but we connected because of suicide. Another text from a friend whose son is struggling, and she's looking for some insight. A prayer group on Facebook started for a dear family whose son is struggling with depression. I open a sack given to me by a relative, and there are suicide cards to pass out as I see needed. Another friend messages me in Facebook and shares a song that she hopes I can share with others. Responder Strong creates an event on prevention, and I receive the notification. Another friend, whom I knew previously, mourns another year of her son being gone by suicide. A co-worker stops and talks with me about how I'm doing, and I find out about two missing people in our community that likely took their lives instead of some other accidental death. This is what I can come up with at the moment. I'm sure there is more. This was only the last 24 hours. But please don't take this as I don't want to hear from you, or that it's a burden. It's just a new way of life. Trying to embrace it as best I can. Hashtag suicide sucks. Hashtag suicide survivor. December 11th, 2018. Logan, today you would be 24. But instead, you will be 23 forever. My heart hurts so much thinking about this and all the things I couldn't wait to see you do. I took some time gathering all of your birthday pictures. Number 23, nothing. One year ago, I gave you a hug and wished you a happy birthday. When I asked you what your plans were for the day, you said you were going out with friends. I figured you meant at least later in the evening. After dinner, when you walked out the door before your dad was home, you just yelled, bye, I'm leaving now. I scared you because I was painting up high in the hallway. I stopped you and said, when are we going to celebrate? I didn't realize you were leaving so early. You just shrugged your shoulders and said, I don't know. I never got that birthday picture. My album is not complete. I guess there are many albums that won't be complete now. I'm struggling, but I still want to wish you a happy birthday. And please always know, your mommy loves you so very much. 
Hashtag miss you so much. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag happy birthday. December 11th, 2018. Say I love you even in some of the hardest moments. My best advice as a parent, friend, spouse, and child. Please share this with anyone you think that needs to hear these words. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. I posted a video today. Below is a manuscript of it. Hey everyone. I'm not doing this live because I'm not sure I'm actually going to post it, but we'll see. Today's Logan's birthday, and I just came into his room for the first time ever. Well, not ever, but the first time since his death a year ago. And because it's his birthday, and because of the importance of this week, it's on Saturday it will be a year since he took his life. There's just a lot of events and memories and thoughts that are replaying in my mind over and over again. And probably the one that's heaviest is just something that I felt like I needed to share because it's given me some comfort. Being a parent is so hard, and I know you guys know that. Um, I mean, this isn't just for parents. It's for everyone that has a relationship with anyone, which is everyone. Um, but sometime when Logan was around a junior in high school, he sort of lost who he was. And while it was a little bit later than this, it's actually probably more like 20. But I mean, he did start to develop his depression and withdraw from the family when he was about 18, 17 or 18. Um, but after his first semester of college, when he came home and we entered some counseling, he just could not say that he loved me. And he could not really. I mean, I guess that's the main thing. You know, we would talk and all, but when I was leaving or going to work or going to bed and whatever, I would say, I love you, Logan, and he wouldn't respond. We did some counseling that spring semester as a part of a deal when he moved back home. And I think he, you know, he was convinced he was doing it for me, which was partly true. I just needed to know how to communicate with him and all. But, you know, through that counseling was one of the biggest things that came from was that his counselor, I mean, and she said to him as well, but mostly in a session privately with me, was that Logan doesn't understand unconditional love right now. He doesn't understand love, what it means. And no matter how hard it is and how frustrated you are with him, her advice to me was you've got to just keep telling him that you love him. Even when you're mad at him, even when you know you're not going to get it back, and it was the best advice that I've gotten because he didn't give it back to me for a long time. And it was so hard. I'm sorry, I had a visitor show up and obviously I'm calmed down a bit, but I just wanted to finish. And so that advice from that counselor was really the best parenting advice I've ever gotten. Because as we all know, our three-year-olds can be very trying at times. And our 18-year-olds, our 16-year-olds, or even 13-year-olds that are talking back or doing whatever. And do we always love them? Of course we always love them. But to say those words, especially when you're frustrated or you're angry, they mean so much more. And so for me, I continued to tell Logan that I loved him. And you know, we wouldn't fight 
and he wouldn't say awful things to me. He would just be going about his day and would be leaving, and I'd say, I love you, Logan. And he would just look at me, and I wouldn't hear it back, and I can't even tell you how hard that was. Hurtful. It would have been easier to just not say it because then I wouldn't have to not hear it back. But as I continued to say it, I don't remember how many months that was, and it might have even been like a year later. At some point, he had a new understanding of what love was, and I believe he met a girl. That sounds like a movie and cliche-ish, but I think she kind of, you know, showed him that, and he was able to open up and figure it all out again. But one day when I said, have a good day, I love you, he actually said it back to me. And I just knew at that time, like, wow, you know, she was right. I needed to show him what unconditional love was. It didn't matter if he was doing everything great or if we had a great relationship or whatever was going on. He knew that I loved him. And so I will tell you that on his birthday one year ago, I struggled with wanting to say happy birthday to him and telling him that I loved him. Because if you read my posts the other day, I was really angry at him for not wishing me a happy birthday. And the other thing is that we had found out that he had quit his job and he hadn't told any of us. And I was confused and frustrated and was scared too. But mostly he was just acting like nothing was wrong. And so I was just like, you know, I wonder in my mind, I kept thinking, you know, maybe I just won't say happy birthday and almost like pretend like we forgot. I wonder what he would think, but part of me knew because I had asked him questions before, like Logan, what if we did this to you or whatever? And he would say, it's no big deal. And you know, I don't know how much that was true because now that I know how much he was hurting and numb to emotions and feelings, like maybe it really wouldn't have mattered to him. I don't know. But so I struggled. I just keep thinking, you know, I'll at least let him maybe bring it up, you know. And when he walked upstairs that morning, my motherly instincts took over, and I remembered what the counselor said. And I'm like, I have to do this, no matter how hard it is. And I walked over to him, and I gave him a hug, and said, happy birthday, Logan. I love you. And sitting here today, thinking back, it gives me so much peace that I did that because it was only a few days later that he took his life. And I'm not saying because of that day that he wrote this in the letter, but because of all the times he knew how much we loved him. He wrote in our letter, especially to me, he said, I know that you cared. And he wrote, that I love you all. And you know, obviously that was huge for us after what we had kind of been through with him. But can you imagine if I had not wished him a happy birthday or had avoided it or had somehow made it a different moment? How guilty I would feel now. And I mean, of course I feel guilty for other things, but I have so much peace that I did that anyway. And so this is just my plea to you guys to remember that it In a moment when your son or when you're in a big fight with someone that you really love, to not be afraid to just say it. It doesn't even mean that you make up. It doesn't even mean you agree with what they're doing. But just let them know how much you love them. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day.
Thank you all for your support, reaching out to me and giving me hugs, and love you all. December 12, 2018. I found this in Logan's album yesterday. This summed him up when he was living life to the fullest. Unfortunately, video games and an occasional book was all that was left the last two years. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. The picture is a puzzle piece that identifies things that he enjoyed. Guitar, running, soccer, reading, and video games. December 12th, 2018. A month ago, I planned on talking about the events of the last two weeks or so of Logan's life, each day, as those dates on the calendar rolled by. And then they did just that, rolled by. Each day, the emotions and scenarios leading up to the tragic moment played out repetitively in my mind. But mostly, I didn't find the time or energy to talk or write about them. So here goes probably a long post, attempting to backtrack and express any glimpse. I thought I had journaled this already shortly after. If true, I can't find it. So these are my memories of that time currently. Logan had begun working as a dispatcher for the Colorado Springs Police Department in August 2017. He had stopped going to school after three years and was searching for something in law enforcement. He said he liked helping people and was so excited about getting this job. I'll never forget the day he rushed to inform me of the news. Such a huge smile as he exclaimed, I got the job. I was ecstatic and thought this could be the beginning of the rest of his life. A new start with a quality job that paid well and was a career. He seemed to love his job and initially was eager to share stories at the family dinner table. Bryce particularly had mentioned many times, Logan is the happiest I've seen him in a long time. So much more to tell regarding that opening preface, but I'm reserving these writings to his final movements. The first time I realized something was off was around Thanksgiving. I had asked him how his day was, and he answered somberly, I had three death calls today. I asked him about each one, and I especially was interested in a mom called. She was hysterical. She had found her 19-year-old dead, probably from an overdose. We stayed on that one for a bit, as I was eager to bring out any emotion, always wanting to bring him close to death so that he could feel my love more, mentioning that I could not imagine what that would be like and how horrific. He agreed as he stepped through the details of that call. We even talked about the process they taught to determine if the body was truly deceased or if he needed to act otherwise. I had no thought in my mind at that point that Logan might be considering taking his life. If it was a thought by him by now, I don't believe he was planning it. I reassured him that he would become numb that he would get used to death calls. Sometime around these dates, I began noticing Logan wasn't around as much again, that he was spending a lot more time in his room. And I began to internally dread the inevitable nag by his mom to recognize it and appear more. Things seemed to be good with work, so it was a little confusing, 
and I suppose because we had been dealing with withdrawal for a couple years now, on and off, it wasn't particularly frightening to me. I don't believe I had ever had that dreaded conversation with him, meanwhile thinking about it every single day. Savannah's team was going deep into the playoffs and planning trips and being gone pleasantly preoccupied my mind. December 3rd, the family dinner conversation I wrote about last week, missing acknowledging my birthday. December 4th, I remember him coming home and I was painting in the hallway. I asked how his day was and he reluctantly stopped to answer. He stated that it wasn't very good and he had made some mistakes he wasn't happy about. I probed for details, as I most always do, and he gave me minute ones, always certainly trying to avoid discussion. Since we believed he was still on orientation, I reassured him they were minor and that he wasn't expected to be perfect. Many times I've played this conversation in my mind. What else could I have said to help him discern failure in his mind? December 6th, Glenn and I both worked and were up and in the kitchen about 6.10 when Logan, dressed for work, arose from the basement, his room, and proceeded to the garage, where many of the snacks and other foods are located. He then proceeded to the front door and was stopped by my semi-sarcastic, goodbye, hope you have a nice day, since he hadn't even acknowledged our presence. He quickly turned and replied something like, oh, have a nice day, as if he was surprised to see us. Reflecting within days of the event, he seemed preoccupied in his mind. I'm not sure he had actually been aware we were standing there. This was the day he quit his job. Did he already know the plan for the day, or did certain events push him suddenly? Certainly he was struggling with thoughts. No one remembers contact with him the remainder of the day, assuming he was out with friends in the evening when we were all home. December 7th, Glenn's birthday. It's hard to think about this day. I suppose it's when my motherly instincts really kicked in and it just hits my core. Glenn texted me at 9.57 a.m. telling me Logan quit his job yesterday. He found out from a co-worker whose wife worked with Logan. It went something like this. I'm sorry about your son. I don't know what you're talking about. He quit his job yesterday. Oh, we didn't know. I was heightened emotionally with these words. Angry, sad, scared, confused, frustrated, felt sorry for him, worried about what was next, every emotion. Why would he quit? He loved that job. Did he do something wrong to get fired? No way. Could he not handle it emotionally? Maybe, but why wouldn't he get another job first? He wouldn't walk away from this job for just any reason. What happened? This was the first time, besides a very brief time after his freshman semester two years before, I really worried about him enough to consider he might take his life. He had never threatened or even talked about it but my mind just went there. I had been through begging him to get out of bed in the past, encouraging him to finish his last two weeks of school, and when I thought he was at a serious low. It was painful for many reasons, but I wasn't at the point of worrying about him to that degree. 
This time was different. He had been through so much, and after all the previous events, I thought I felt what he must have been feeling. Now what? Was Glenn going to get to be so frustrated he would kick him out? Would he end up on the street? This job was so promising. How will he ever get another career, one without school? What is he going to do? He must be so depressed. I was so sad. Back to anger. Why would he do this and he's not telling us? My stomach ached. My brain ached. My heart ached. I text a group of friends that are prayer warriors and my aunt to pray. A couple hours later, my aunt called me, asking if I had talked to him. He is usually up around noon at the latest to get something to eat, and I hadn't seen him. She said, Lori, haven't you gone down to check on him? I immediately began crying and told her I was afraid of what I might find. Yep, those words came out of my mouth. I don't know exactly what I meant by that, but I was scared. And if he was okay, I didn't want to be the one to confront him, because Glenn was much more calm, rational, and not emotional in these situations. My aunt prayed with me over the phone that Logan would see his path, that he would be safe. I so regret that I didn't go down. Why didn't I give him a hug, tell him I loved him no matter what, and ask him to tell me about it? I should have asked him straight up if he was considering taking his life. He might have lied, but he might have told me. We know now from his computer that that was the first day he did research on buying a gun. Kids straggled in, and eventually Glenn came home from work. We got the dinner birthday celebration ready when someone texted Logan dinner was ready. I hadn't confided in anyone else how I was feeling. When Logan walked up the stairs, my heart skipped a beat. Relief. He was okay. And he was in a good mood. We enjoyed our time celebrating, and I suppose in his display of seemingly happiness, I was fooled and somewhat comforted, at least for the evening. He never brought up his job, and we decided not to since it was a day of celebration. It would turn out to be our last full family meal together. December 8th and 9th, Friday and Saturday. I don't remember much about these days, other than Logan still didn't tell us he had quit his job. He was around, but of course that mostly meant his car was in the driveway and he was isolating himself in his room. He probably left at some point, as he often did in the evenings, frequenting other friends' houses for board or video game nights. Occasionally they came to our house but it had been at least a few months. I guess he likely assumed we thought it was just another unscheduled group of days. His routine had rotated and changed a lot, so he could have easily told us it was official days off. But he didn't mention anything, and we were waiting for him to talk first. The one thing I do remember him asking was, could I take Amaya to a movie tomorrow? While this wasn't an unusual question, it was more of an implication that he wouldn't be working tomorrow. I think I responded that she had something going on. I just don't remember what, and that it would depend on the timing. I remember her not being home at the time, so I left it as we would have to talk with her tomorrow. Then Saturday came around, and after discussing it with Amaya, 
they decided Sunday would be better, since she had plans with a friend in the middle of the day. We may have eaten dinner together, but Bryce was now out of town, and Savannah not likely around on a typical evening either. December 10th, Sunday. Amaya and Logan decided there weren't any good movies they wanted to see. Instead, they watched a movie downstairs, Divergent. This was the last day Glenn would see Logan. Glenn had been working on finishing up a Coke machine he was restoring, and upon finalizing the tweaks, asked Logan to help him move it from the garage to the dining room. I was hanging around painting my grandmother's buffet, so I remember this occasion vividly. Logan was pleasant and fairly cheerful, no mention of his work. Glenn and I had a conversation about it later in the day. Me. Aren't we going to talk to him? Glenn. I'm sort of wondering just how long he's going to play this out. December 11th, Monday. Logan's 23rd birthday. His last. I wrote about this day on the anniversary, Tuesday. You can go back and check it out if you missed it. Some of his good friends saw him briefly that night, but where else he spent the long evening is unknown to me. December 12th, Tuesday. I worked my usual 12-hour shift, arriving home around 8.15 p.m. When I asked if anyone had seen or talked to Logan, only Amaya had. He had left a short time after she had arrived home from school and told her he was going to work. We figured maybe he wasn't lying. Maybe he had decided to go back to Pizza Hut and work while he figured out his next step. Excerpt. We are not typically worriers. We mostly live on faith and agree you can't change anything by doing so, except maybe worsen your health. So if you're wondering how we could go to bed each night not wondering where he was, it was not uncommon for us. He often worked late nights, and with three adult children living with us at the time, we didn't feel it was our place to question them constantly. I did often ask him to tell me approximately where he was going or who he would be with. I urged him to understand that I wasn't trying to control where he was, just that if you don't come home some night, at least I would have an idea of where to start looking. I have to think this might have played into his thoughts when he called to tell dispatch where his final resting place was. Sometime this week, I'm not sure which, I found myself downstairs getting wrapping paper. I was just around the corner from his room and felt an urge to snoop on his computer. I was still constantly thinking about him and what was going on. He wasn't home, and I was thinking I could maybe gather some insight. As the urge lingered, something drew me back upstairs. What would he think if he came home and found me in there? My mind also argued that there would be nothing there. Turns out it had a password on it, and I would have never gotten in anyway. This gave me some comfort in the days after. December 13th, Wednesday. My last day to see my baby alive. I was on the computer when Logan meandered upstairs around noon. He came and sat in the same room as I, on one of the ottomans, looking at the floor and gently petting the dogs. I did say hey, with the return of the same three letters, but overall it was an awkward silence at first. I had to wonder, does he not know we know about his job? Surely he is wondering why we haven't asked. 
but then I was also nervously wondering if he would bring it up for the first time with me. I was calm on the outside, but my mind was racing internally. I just kept wondering what was on his mind. What game are we playing here? I wasn't even paying attention to what I was doing, just consumed in thought. I don't usually have a problem expressing my feelings or talking through things, but with him I was so cautious, never wanting to upset the situation, and had tried to really respect his opinion of my communication skills with him. I finally, after I'm thinking five to ten minutes, but it seemed like an hour, broke the silence. You know, we did get you some birthday presents. There's a big box in the dining room I didn't wrap. I had been so proud to have spent a couple hours researching and conferring with his siblings on finding the best computer desk. It was something he needed, and I thought kind of a truce gift to show him I wasn't totally against computer games, something that seemed so much of his identity. He immediately got up and went to check it out. Coming back, he came over to my chair. He leaned down and gave me a hug, and in a genuine voice said, Thanks, Mom. I really appreciate it. I will put it together when I have time, catching himself and maybe knowing I was thinking he had all the time in the world. Well, I mean, it looks like it might be hard to put together, so when I have an extended period of time. I calmly replied, You know your dad will help you. And he nodded his head and said confidently, I know. I think that was it. I don't know if we said anything else after. Final words. Wow. If I could have only known. I'm embarrassed to say I gave him a half-ass hug back. I didn't stand up from my chair. I did reach back, but it wasn't a full embrace. I was confused and somewhat angry and annoyed, so I held back, as I often do, putting up walls when in the midst of these feelings. Oh, how I regret that. Can I please just have that hug back? I would embrace him ever so tightly and make him ask to let go. I believe he got something to eat and then descended down to the dark once again. I left by 1.30 to go to Sam's. I wanted to purchase a phone for Bryce for Christmas and be home for when Amaya walked in. I remember texting the usual family group message. At Sam's, does anyone want anything? I got a few answers, but his number never replied. The phone purchase took a lot longer than anticipated, and when I arrived home, Logan's car was gone. The first thing I asked Amaya was if she knew where he went. He had once again told her he was going to work. Ugh. And then as expected, he didn't come home before we went to bed that night. December 14th. Well, that's tomorrow. So I'll write more then. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. December 14th, 2018. The clock is ticking. You have tried fiercely all day to think about something else, to do other things, to attend parties and pretend it didn't happen. Your dogs even help a little. But it's getting closer and closer to the time you know your son would call the non-emergent line to tell them where they could find his body. This sucks. Suicide sucks. Hashtag miss him so much. 
December 14th. Today, one year ago, did not start out as a normal day because I woke up with Logan heavy on my heart. I was increasingly worried about this game we were playing, him not telling us about quitting his job and us not asking. I had worried particularly the day we found out, Glenn's birthday, but had been deceivingly somewhat calmed by his upbeat behavior. But as I drove to work, I spent all my prayer time asking for him to have direction and peace. Much of my free time in my 12 and a half hour day was spent talking about Logan. A coworker I had often confided in asked me first thing for an update. Had Logan told us yet? I had a very small baby that day that needed more monitor watching and potential prevention than actual care. So I had a fair amount of time to reflect openly in communication. I remember specifically talking and comparing my situation with a friend of mine whose son had repeatedly threatened and even attempted suicide. Talking about having peace that she knew she had done everything she could to prevent it, and if he chose to do it, it wasn't her. That it's such a hard and tiring road to be on. However, I was not thinking along the lines of suicide regarding Logan, but that I had tried directed, encouraged regarding his school, job, and career situation. As smart as he was, I couldn't control if he ended up working at Pizza Hut, although I was convinced in my heart that wasn't good enough for him. But I hated that he was seemingly taking the long and painful route, and that I was tiring. Oh, how I wished that's what he was doing, figuring his way through life instead of just ending it. Even now, I regret that we hadn't been way more encouraging of him taking a year off from school when we saw him declining. It's strange to me I was talking about suicide. Did my mother's intuition know that he was checked into a hotel that very moment writing goodbye letters? Was I already subconsciously trying to comfort my heart from blame, pointing out I had tried my best? By the time my shift was over, I was emotionally ready to end the curiosity. I texted Glenn, is Logan home? Him, no. Me, are you working tomorrow? Him, yes. Me, should we text him to come home so we can talk? Him, Savannah told him we know. I left work uneasy. I usually spend my time praying on the way to work and listening to music on the way home. I drove down I-25 reaching out to God this night all the way home. Please be with Logan. Please guide and direct him. Help him know we love him. Give me the words of understanding. I had never prayed more intensely for him. I arrived home and eagerly inquired on the details of the conversation between Logan and Savannah. There wasn't much more than what he had already told me. Logan came up about lunchtime, and they exchanged a few sentences. Savannah told him we knew about his job, and we were not mad, just waiting for an explanation. That was it. Oh, how I am so thankful she told him we weren't mad. That has given me some peace. I may have been comforted just enough to fall asleep at a usual time. The home phone rang at midnight, an anonymous caller, so I did not answer. But I didn't remember it until reminded of it later on the next day. 
loud, very loud, abrupt knocks on our door changed all the peace of the night as we knew it. As Glenn immediately got up, and I believe went to obtain his gun, I looked out the window, my heart racing. I saw multiple police cars parked across the street, closer to the neighbor's house. I started arguing with myself. One of those cars looks like it could be a Humane Society car. Maybe the neighbor's dog got out, and there's something wrong, and they're asking us for details or help deciphering the situation. This was not even rational, as their dog is not mean, and cops wouldn't bang loudly for that. Those were my thoughts. But I remember feeling like I had seen this coming, that this was the moment I knew was coming, and it was finally happening. In the next seconds, my mind began racing harder, so much so that I don't even think I could gather thoughts. I grabbed my robe and was coming down the stairs, Glenn opened the door to see multiple officers. He immediately responded, Oh, this is not good. My mind immediately began begging to know the reality I hoped for. Please, just be here to tell me Logan had done something bad and was arrested and in jail. But my brain argued back. They don't come tell parents of adult children these things. And what on earth would Logan have done to be arrested? Not him. Are you Glenn? Yes. Are you Lori? Yes. Before I could consciously think any more thoughts, the lead officer began talking. Bryce was descending upstairs and Savannah down, but hadn't made it to the living room. Amaya was halfway down the stairs, I think, trying to figure out if she was allowed to be present. He began, There's been a terrible accident at UCCS, my mind racing but not considering it could be only an accident. My mind had already determined it was death. Began trying to sort out through the confusion. Oh my goodness, did Logan kill other people before taking his life? The word accident didn't make sense to me. Logan shot himself. He called dispatch to let them know where he was. But by the time we arrived, he was no longer with us. Maybe they used the word deceased. I just don't remember. Bryce arrived in the room and I said, Did you hear what they said? He replied, Yes, I heard them. I really can't put into words what happened to my heart in my brain after that. When people say indescribable, I guess they mean they just don't know how to describe something. I can't really describe those next minutes. I know I put my head in the pillow next to me and screamed and cried. I know Glenn asked what kind of gun. He was comforted in knowing it wasn't a gun he possessed or owned. I know that they told us someone had tried to call at midnight to confirm the registration of the car. I am happy knowing we didn't answer that call. We couldn't change anything at that point, and we were able to get three more hours of sleep. I know they told us he left letters and that we could see them once the body was released. I begged, surely you can have them. Can you just take a picture of them for me? No, was the answer. I wondered, were they hate letters? Were they good, bad? Do I want to read them? Would they make things worse? I know that as they began their informative speech, Glenn stopped them and told them he was a deputy, that he knew the procedure and that they could leave now. 
I know they left fairly quickly after that. I know that once the door was shut, my husband, a man of little emotion and calm in all situations previously, gathered us together and cried, cried out loud as he looked to heaven and spoke these words, Jesus, please help my family get through this. I know that we cried together for a couple more hours before notifying anyone else. The guilt immediately kicked in. We had to comfort one another when we began to explain what we should have done differently, done it all, or thought would have made a difference. Bryce seemed the most comforting. Logan was Logan, and there was nothing we could have done. What I don't know is how we made it through those moments and hours. How the body doesn't just give out is a miracle. What we learned later is that Logan spent the night of the 13th with his good friends, including best friend Jared, at a video game tournament in Denver. I have heard accounts from a few different people of this night, but all were of Logan in a pleasant, happy mood. Jared saw no signs and never detected the emptiness that he was wrestling with. Was he having a great time doing what he loved? Or was he in a euphoria because he knew the pain was ending soon? Or was it all so much effort that it became clearer than ever that he didn't want to fight the battle anymore? We learned he had researched how to buy a gun two days after resigning. Was he only thinking at that time and not necessarily planning? Could a conversation with him accelerate his acting or potentially slowed it down a short time? We learned he had applied for the gun permit online around 1 p.m. He was approved within an hour and used it to purchase a gun online. He could have left right away, but seemingly waited for Amaya to get home. He rose from upstairs around 3.45, grabbed some snacks from the garage, and came in and gave Amaya a nice hug. She thought it a little odd, but had no reason to be alarmed. Bye, Amaya, he said as he walked out the door for the last time. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. December 14th, 2018. It did my heart good today. I found out yesterday a few of Logan's friends were graduating from UCCS, including his best friend, Jared. As the group of friends that were going to attend grew, I knew Logan would have been there and felt very compelled to be there in his place. He might have laughed at this thought or maybe loved the idea. I really feel like it would have made him happy, though, to know how much his friends mean to me and hopefully I to them. We are pieces of a puzzle that can somehow be connected even if the edges are jagged because there is something still very much absent. At times it was hard to think about how Logan should have been there as a graduate and not just a sideline cheerleader. He spent three years at UCCS. But I wasn't there to dwell on sadness. I was there to celebrate and enjoy being included in Jared's family seats throughout the ceremony. I was surprised at how many other names I recognized. Also so exciting to think I will get to do this in only a few short months with my Savannah. On this eve day of such significance in our lives now, I can think of no better place 
than to be surrounded by people that remind me so much of Logan in celebration of their accomplishments. I hope these friends and families can grasp just how much they mean to me. Congrats to all of you. Hashtag UCCS 2018. Hashtag Finding Joy. Hashtag He Should Be Here. December 15th, 2018. As you all know by now, I'm not a human of few words, but reflecting on what I wrote a year ago, those few words still sum up how I feel. We did love Logan the best we knew how. We have been carried through this year of unbearable pain only because of our hope in things eternal. God can make all bad things turn into something good and has been the only way we can imagine getting through the worst circumstance that could ever happen to us. Love and many thanks to all of you who have prayed, reached out, encouraged, cried, left gifts, hugged, made meals, and most importantly, changed the way you live life in remembrance of Logan. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag one year gone. December 16th. 2018. Yesterday was one year since we lost our Logan. Wow. I can't explain time. I mean, in some ways, it seems like three years, and in other ways, it's been three weeks. I'm somewhere in between trying to find when and where the tide is. I've read a couple of good books that have helped me, but the theme on any grief information is Everyone in their own time. Grief is different for each person at different times. It comes in waves, and you can't predict it. Yep, I can attest that it's all true, and it makes for trying family dynamics at times. One more thing. Sometimes the anticipation of a day or date can be way worse than the actual moment or day. I think this happened to me yesterday. I was so worried. I mean, I know we all had ideas of what that day would be like. Awful, painful, crying all day, negative, sad, reliving every moment. Well, it wasn't. We had a mostly joyful day. I think I cried less than I had any day at least two weeks before. We saw beauty in the mountains. We got to spend time together talking about the future, our house, and meeting new neighbors. And we got to spend time with so many people that loved Logan and us. I loved seeing how many of his friends came out to have a burger at the same spot they often did when he was present. This group, they are family. It made my heart so comforted once again that he had that family. They loved him and he loved them. This wasn't about lonely. And so many other dear friends and family cared to celebrate making it through the year. Celebrate. That's just what we did. We chose joy. Prayers are powerful, and we are continuing to feel them. I genuinely felt warm fuzzies and enjoyed smiling. Yes, I had my times this week. Logan's birthday hit me way harder than I imagined, and way harder than yesterday. Other events this week caused my mind to feel vulnerable and fragile, but I made it through. And sometimes you can run out of tears. I believe that to be true.
but yesterday, no big sobbing mess. There has been a time and place for that, but peace carried us through so that we could be present. Thanks for all who came, who wanted to come, who reached out via text or message, who prayed, and who remembered. Each of you made a difference. Thank you from all of the Mormons. Hashtag choose joy. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. Hashtag it's been a year since my life changed forever. December 17th, 2018. Logan was known to be an amazing big brother, playing all sorts of things to keep Savannah happy. He was so sweet at eight years old to write to Santa on behalf of his sister. Did he secretly want one too? This letter is from 2002. Dear Santa, I want Game Boy Color. Game for Game Boy? Dog treats for my dog. A PlayStation game like Spyruto and Power Ranger for PlayStation and a Barbie for my sister. Love, Logan. I have been a good boy. Hashtag miss him so much. December 18th, 2018. What does this look like to you? Is it just a humidifier? What if I told you it's a super special emblem? You see, when I finally decided to go into Logan's room, I saw it plugged in, sitting on the floor and at the end of his bed. I reached and grabbed it and actually hugged it like it was a treasure worth hundreds of dollars. For me, it was way more than just a humidifier. It was a symbol of my efforts to be a loving, caring mom. Logan had complained of various ailments, which I mostly attributed to remaining in his cold, dark room for hours fixated on his computer screen. Regardless, always wanting to help, I would offer suggestions, and so when he approached me about his dry nose and throat, I bought him this humidifier. A need expressed, a need fulfilled. My motherhood mind is always crossing things off the list. But as a mom surviving the suicide of her son, we think we failed them and instinctively reject that we did all we could do and think of all those more things we could have done. What ifs? They flood everyone's mind after a suicide. Even those that hardly knew Logan have reached out in apologies. But as a mom, we inflate our role in their death and want to stand firmly that our last parental act is remorse. Somehow that makes us think we are continuing to show our love and furnishing their needs. But of course it's only in our heads, and acting on those wishes will do no good. Our children are dead, and there are no more chances. Maybe we feel connected to them in this way, that we are still trying to be a mom by attempting to figure out what we failed to provide. So with this struggle, it is advised to make a list of the great things you did for your child. Of course this is helpful, but it does feel like we are putting ourselves on trial and submitting all the evidence. But I also know it has to be a fair trial, so I can submit evidence all day long. But I'm not a deity, and I recognize there are limits to what I could change. When evil forces its way in, and we allow it, 
it can take over and deprive one of hope, which is exactly what happened in Logan's case. I'm sorry my hope has run out, he wrote in a letter he left. So I remind myself I offered that hope. I remember the first and only day he asked me to leave his room. When I verbalized that ever since he had rejected his faith, his life had turned dark. I continued to invite him to church and promised to be patient. We purchased a gym membership to take the burden off trying to figure out where and when to work out. I used my network and worked behind the scenes to get him transferred from School of Mines to UCCS after he struggled his freshman fall semester. I mapped out what it would look like if he changed his degree. I told him I would accompany him to a visit with the dean. I went with him to the doctor when he wanted to figure out why he struggled to eat. I begged him to see another counselor after he didn't like the one we had a couple of appointments with. I sat through a second viewing of a 2020 special on video game addiction I had watched and begged him to dissect. I invited him numerous times to play indoor soccer with us. I prayed during a movie he agreed to attend with us, A Case for Christ, in the last few months. I paid for expensive running shoes in hopes his feet wouldn't hurt. I did this and that and more, and I bought him a humidifier. I have since moved that humidifier next to my bed. My bed is a common place of disorientation, guilt, regrets, and what-ifs. So I am using it as reconciliation and resuscitation of motherhood views of myself. It's positive evidence. You may see it as a humidifier. To me, it's an emblem. Hashtag hope. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. Hashtag what ifs. December 19th, 2018. It took a few weeks to even begin to regain my thoughts and composure, but my mama always taught me to make sure and let people know they are appreciated. So I finally started writing thank you notes and trying to figure out how the heck I would be able to express gratitude to those that had truly stepped in and also wrapped us in major shields of protection. I really desired a tangible way to offer a piece of thankfulness to my angels and not just some generic gift card. Despite my obsessive personality, I don't always find the perfect gift. But in this case, and to my already tattered heart's relief, I stumbled upon these precious angel tree ornaments. With Logan's death knocking on Christmas door, everyone would have their trees up when this date circulated every year. Wanting these exceptional people to be reminded of the peace and hope and love they had offered, what better than an angel itself? And these angels have 2017 inscribed to easily recall the year placed perfectly on what I believe could be a symbol, Logan's Book of Life. They even offered a token where I could personalize them by carving Logan's name in remembrance. Ironic, maybe, but they are the same willow tree brand that our Logan angel is that we found in Estes Park. You know the warmth and joy when you feel you've discovered that perfect gift? Hashtag finding joy. 
It truly soothed my soul to hand them out. Hashtag, better to give than receive. Thank you to a few of you that have sent me pictures of your angels displayed. Hashtag grateful. December 20th, 2018. One of the very hardest things about Logan's death has been experiencing this grief journey parallel but incongruently. I'm talking about my immediate family here, Glenn, Bryce, Savannah, and Amaya. The cries of suicide are brutal, and they are often without tears or sound. Only you know what's going on inside. While Glenn went to work only a week later, I took off six months. He needed something to fill the space and time in his head, while I needed to have time and space to be able to find the information to fill it. My family didn't want more information, while I couldn't help but dive into every aspect of every detail I could find. I searched Logan's computer. I read the police report. I met with his co-workers. I even listened to his dispatch call. It's like I was performing a psychiatric autopsy. I wanted any clue or answer or peace or peace that I could find. While they couldn't bear hearing anything surrounding details, it's like I felt obligated to accompany him through the end. I needed to see what was left of Logan's physical presence and have that one last touch while Glenn and the kids all stayed home. I needed, and let's be real, I still do, to talk out what happened, what the past was, and how it weaved its way into our new future. That appeared to be something Savannah needed for about 24 hours, and then she didn't want to talk about it anymore. I don't think today she still has had but only a very few private conversations regarding the how and potential why. I became immersed in writing and sharing publicly my thoughts on suicide and the effects it was having on us. While I rarely hear anything regarding them from family, despite the Facebook world reaching out to me faithfully, I needed to make people remember it had been a year. I wanted to get together with friends in the hopes of hearing lasting memories accidentally omitted to be shared previously. I didn't want anyone to forget Logan already. My family grumbled at my efforts to bring everyone together on his one-year death anniversary. They didn't want to be around a crying fest. I had all these great ideas, like everyone bring an ornament that says something about you or your relationship with Logan, and we'll have a special tree up every year with them displayed. But all I heard from my group texts for input and agreement were crickets. I'm glad I moved forward with the day anyway. We didn't do anything special, except to meet at Logan's favorite restaurant. But it was a day of sharing and smiles, at least on the outside, and not of sobbing and sorrow. Maybe what we fear is what we most need. Or maybe they just faked it really good that day. And while early on the tears and moods are predictable and expected, after some time, just like the outside world, it's easy to be less forgiving and remember to attribute anger, depression, and coldness to grief. You make assumptions on others, despite knowing your grief is front and center to every character trait you have. 
And then there are moments where you gradually have a decent day and you expect your family to be right at the same tier. Oftentimes they can be, but not necessarily in the same minutes, hours, or days, or even weeks. It's hard to have your glimpses of joy be crushed because of others temporarily drowning. And then other times you are the one hit by lightning, tumbling down that mountain while another is smiling at the sun peeking from behind those same clouds. And I don't even know what's better. If we were all equal emotionally, it would be certain double hell. Maybe it was meant to be this way, so we could always see the hope others are experiencing in those moments. Some of the things that seemed easier initially, like comforting, became much more difficult as the waves and certain emotions settled in. We seemed more focused and attentive in the first months, and now the blur of reality and grief depression makes it hard to see what another is going through. And even if you see it, how do you comfort someone on something you're struggling so intensely with as well? It seems there had been a gap created in being able to talk about him. It was the obvious the first few months. But now I worry about reactions, so I often resist saying his name. I can't take that risk. I long for the day I can bring up anything to do with Logan and not worry that someone is not ready to hear about it. But then I fear the longer it goes, the more unnatural it will be to mention him and will cause a suppressed reaction. There is no winning here. These thoughts crush me and cause physical pain. I wish I felt like we knew each other better for being on the same path, but there is still so much inside that never comes out. I often still feel lonely. The fear of causing a trigger with someone else usually gives way to silence. I often cry alone and feel so depleted. I know I don't have the energy to give back to them what they would give in comfort. And while I know my family would sympathize in those moments, I don't want them to have to. My family loves each other deeply, and with our faith as a foundation, I'm confident we will stay intact throughout the journey. But we each have very different personalities, and even if we didn't, this is grief life, and right now it really sucks. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag grief. December 21st, 2018. One year ago today, we celebrated Logan Ray Borman's life in a formal service at a church he was practically born and raised in. I'm not sure I can accurately really depict what goes through your mind. I feel like we all probably think about our own memorial services. Wow, I just hate the word funeral. It's so hard for me to say and even write but I had honestly never pictured my kids dying before me. Everyone says, you should never have to bury a child, but people do it every day. I guess I was naive to think that couldn't happen to me. Hey, people, it could happen to you. I'm not saying we are perfect. I'm not saying we have never made mistakes. But Logan was raised in a middle-class family, in a great Jesus-loving and not religion-focused church. 
in a great school with lots of friends, with lots of extended family, with lots of resources, and lots of unconditional love. If you think suicide or death can't happen to your family, you're wrong. And I'm not saying we were too good to consider it could happen to us. I just don't think we ever really thought about it or thought about it seriously. Back to the day. I remember this day, this week, as surreal. I mean, really, did that happen? Did we write an obituary, somehow trying to depict our child's life in a few paragraphs? Did we have to choose to cremate or bury? And wow, are there a million urn decisions? Wood, carvings, pictures, phrases. Glenn kept telling me money wasn't an issue. But did this urn really even mean anything to me now? His spirit is in heaven. That's what mattered. I was more concerned about which parking spot he took his last breath in. I wanted to leave his urn there. But of course, that's not an option. Were we really asked about purchasing fingerprint souvenirs as if we had traveled to a place without a time? Did we really have to choose if we were going to keep his clothes or not? At the time, I thought, no way. And then a day later, I regretted that, and I wanted his cream zip-up jacket I had seen him wear a million times plus. I didn't care the condition. I just wanted to see it, to smell it, to hold it. It was too late when I asked again. It's in the urn now. I feel like there are so many thoughts and emotions I could expand on, like the clothing thing. But probably not here, as I make these posts longer than planned already. All of these decisions and questions continued to play out in my mind that day, and I already had seen regrets, so I needed to make sure everything was perfect. I know I didn't get much sleep the night before, or all week for that matter. I was making Logan's Life video and picture slideshow. Show. That word sounds like this was a show. Ugh. Again. I want to expand on words, but won't. With Savannah's help, we had muddled through probably 20,000 pictures and enough hours of home movie videos that we could have made a couple hour long documentary. I'm so thankful for all the times I forced my kids to be on camera. No regrets there. I was still finishing getting it to Randy at the church by early morning. I remember then going through Logan's tub of memories and choosing a few to display when people walked in, hoping they would see something that connected them to my baby. Would Connie and Angela be there? and see the Tickle Me Elmo they had managed to scrape away from the other hundreds of people trying to purchase one that Christmas? Would Logan's Boy Scout leaders be there and see his uniform and belt with all the buckles he earned? Would they remember how hard he worked to have the best Pinewood Derby car? Would anyone who knew him as a young boy smile so big when they saw his stuffed Barney with the worm and torn books to go along with it? Would his teachers be there and recognize all his science Olympiad medals, remembering how well he represented his school at even the national level? Wait, I couldn't find those. It's still a mystery where they are, and so now I seem to want them more than anything. Want what you don't have? 
For me, it's a teen boy's medals he was so proud of. I could have placed a million memories that day, but had to choose among a few, hoping as people saw them, they would be reminded of my precious son and how he had impacted them. It was like taking pieces of my heart and putting them on display, still trying to decide if that's comforting or not. Lastly, I remember how physically hard that day was. I felt like I was hyperventilating all day. And at one point, when Savannah was in my room helping me get dressed, I turned to her and said, I know now what they mean when they say they couldn't catch a breath. It's really not just a saying. I felt so heavy-chested that it was difficult to breathe. Each breath was strained and exhausting. She agreed. There are other ways the body reacts, but this was by far the most significant as I can remember. And then we made our first trip as a family of five to the church. I can only imagine what everyone in that car was thinking, but I looked out the window only to be so jealous of all the people I saw. After all, it was a typical Thursday afternoon just before three. Were they hurrying to get that last present? Out buying ingredients for dinner? Were they on their way to pick up their babies from school? Whatever they were doing, I wanted to be them. I pictured all the services I had seen on TV, staged and real. The views of the families traveling with the tear-jerking music playing in the background and the cameras capturing them with their somber faces and tissues. This was us. Only people didn't know where we were headed. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag suicide sucks. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. December 25th, 2018. Hardest parts in the last 24 hours. As I walked the dogs, the air, trees, cold, scenery, all senses are the same as exactly one year ago. Heading to celebrate the birth of our Christ, similarly dressed up at about the same time of day and the same place we celebrated Logan's life's end. Sending the candlelight down the row of family, knowing one light will never be lit again. Taking family pictures without our entire family. Watching a Christmas story without him. Oh, how excited he was to watch that movie year after year. I especially remember him laughing at those stupid jokes. Stuffing the stockings, leaving his hanging empty. Going to bed, knowing I didn't have to think about what to purchase for him this year. I so wish I had that struggle. Waking up seeing his ornaments staring at me as we gathered around the tree. Receiving so many sweet messages from people that care, but a constant reminder that we are hurting. Missing our main distributor of the presents, Logan loved to figure out the owner of each one and always handed them over with such joy. Holding hands as we thank the Lord for our food. Why is it times like this just burn the core? knowing the circle is not complete, nor will it ever be, again. Hashtag miss him so much. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag suicide awareness. December 28, 
2018. I can't help but share this again. Please don't stop talking about my Logan to me. As a parent, your worst fear is people forgetting and not talking about your baby anymore. Hashtag miss him so much. December 28, 2018. Most everyone is excited to jump into the new year. Goals and wishes for what's to come. Some of you had an awful 2018 and can't wait to get a start on something you're hoping will be better. I read your posts. Bad things happen. And there is something about the numbers changing to a higher one that gives us a renewed excitement that things can be different. As far as the numbers changing in my house, they will not increase. We will be a family that still has a room empty that another digit change cannot fill. I have some hope in new things to come, but nothing will satisfy me like my son coming back, which he won't. I am not excited for the new year because it's one more year that all of our memories of Logan will be more tucked away. Time. There is the time when Logan was here, and now the time that he is not. I'm desperate for healing, and not to feel this way forever, and yet I don't want time to move forward. It scares me to know his existence will be that much more forgotten. One day, I will be the mom that lost her son blank years ago. Somehow it seems like I will lose my credibility to know what it's like because it will be another year's number scrolled by from the past and I should be better and fine like before. The calendar filling up without his name anywhere on it. The calendar filling up without grief work scheduled in. The calendar filling up like life is just getting back to normal. But it's really only on paper, right? It's really only a number, 2019. It's really not just a number. It's the world dreaming, hoping, and planning. And it's me, sitting here wishing the numbers would just scroll the other way. Hashtag choosing joy. Hashtag not so happy new year. Hashtag mental health awareness. December 30th, 2018. Like many myths, the high divorce rate following the death of a child is one that snowballed out of proportion. One researcher back in 1977 said 90% of couples were in serious danger within months. No one challenged sources or questioned, and so like many others, someone's statement became a fact. Grief experts are now disputing this. New stats are showing numbers like this. Only 16% of the parents divorce after the death of a child, and only 4% say it was because of the death, that there were problems in the marriage way before the child died. So many people were quick to warn us following Logan's death, also assuming those ugly stats of 90% were true. Although I had a peace about it and confidence in our relationship, it was still unnerving. Once my counselor told me it wasn't true, that couples that divorce was in all likelihood going to anyway, it just speeds it up. I had renewed hope and comfort. Amazing how your mind goes down certain pathways when you are led there. Has it been easy? In all honesty, mostly. Not the answer you were expecting, right? 
but our many years of marriage and work at it has produced thick layers of trust, selfishness, love, and respect. Nerves that were raw and unprotected were revealed, but a substantial digging has only hit clay, capable of being molded, or even better, rock. The feeling of isolation in grief is more devastating if your belief is that you are going through it alone. I never felt this way. It's liberating to know there is someone that relates. But what about someone that is feeling so many of the same emotions, thoughts, and agonizing questions? Maybe not always exactly, but someone that knows how I got there, knows the pain I've endured to shape me up to this point, and happy moments that also made me the person I am today. And then there is the awareness, personally within these walls of the trials, attempts of restoration, time, energy, celebrations, tears, and hugs that were given directly relating to Logan. To be able to be comforted by that person that transcends my thoughts and struggles makes me almost whole, if it weren't for missing one whole. One struggle for us comes from the unfamiliarity of the situation. Nothing had happened before where we could use lessons learned. Oh, this is how we handled that last time. No point of reference. All we can do is take it one day at a time. Well, because as common as days will be, is there a norm? Another big struggle is navigating this as unique individuals. We all grieve differently. A myth that it's a process of straight lines and order. And we are often in different places of this complex journey. Sometimes even meandering within the varied stages throughout a single hour. How are we surviving? Not individually, but together. As our anniversary approached, I started reflecting. We've sought counseling. It's helped us learn to understand where we are and where we want to be. Our openness and communication. Sometimes calling out the other simply stops the behavior and produces waves of tears and leads to hugs. Usually what we are expressing or how we are acting has nothing to do with anything but grief and sadness. Being self-aware, I'm sorry. Realizing what moment you are actually in. The truth about what is bothering you. Those two words wipe away so many marks on the heart. Kind of the same as being self-aware, but recognizing that emotions are so close to the surface. They are, more often than not, exaggerated one way or another. No expectations. We are both pretty productive and motivated people but more often than not in the last year, have been tired, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, allowing the nose to events and days of accomplishing nothing have been soothing and respectful. Physical touch. Sometimes that's all it takes to get the tears flowing, but also to then a few minutes later have a significantly improved mood. It's innate for us to want to feel secure. I love being held. It gives me peace. Even when there is nothing to say, which is often, just the touch is the acknowledgement and validation we need. Not judging. We have both said and done things that were not our typical selves. Allowing these moments to happen 
and remembering where they stem from helps move forward in optimism instead of dwelling on the evil that takes hold at times. Allowing our tears to flow. I believe one of the top two things that have brought us forward together, faith together being the other, has been my man's owning of his heart. He has stepped forward in ways I never imagined, simply by allowing his love to show through the pain on his face, the crumbling of his body, and the weeping of his eyes. There is more strength in allowing than withholding. The body of Christ, the hundreds of people that have prayed for us, have no doubt given us so much peace and turned days and moments to light instead of dark. Friendships. The cards, gifts, notes, meals, and hugs have kept both of us very afloat. No doubt it lifts our spirits. People will never know the effect we've had because of them. You. Family. All of them. Faith. Having hope. Together. Is the single most effective aspect of us surviving. Knowing we will see our Logan again makes all the difference. Spending time together doing daily devotions and leaning on Jesus is no doubt kept us from living in a pit. Intentional choices of joy, love, and hope all come from feeling secure in where we are going. As tragic as it can be, we have learned more about ourselves and life in general. Together, we have a long way to go, but I am confident the corners and edges of the puzzle are nailed in place and cannot be torn apart or lost. When people say they can't imagine, it always brings me to the thoughts of, I can't imagine doing this without faith and a Glenn. Glenn, I love you so much and thank you for choosing me. Hashtag we are making it. Hashtag suicide prevention. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. Happy 28 to us. Hashtag we made it. Hashtag love him so much. December 31st, 2018. Hi, Mrs. Borman. You don't know me, but we have a mutual friend. I found your Facebook page through Bryce. You had tagged him in a post after Logan took his life. I found myself reading every single one of your posts on his death ever since. I want to thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. If it weren't for your words about Logan and the seriousness of depression, I wouldn't have ever gone to seek help myself. I've struggled with depression for a long time, and in the past year it's gotten very bad. I was driving home from a workout one day, and I almost crashed my car into the side of the highway. I was ready to do it and decided the next time I was driving, I would do it. Later that day, I read a post of yours about how you wished Logan had said something to you or someone else because it could have saved his life. I'm not sure how or why, but right after that, I told my mom about my suicidal thoughts. I've been on medication and in therapy for the last six months. It's a very long road and often dark, but praise God I'm still here and finding restoration in his mighty love and grace. I'm telling you all this because I want you to know you saved my life, Mrs. Borman. 
your boldness to talk about Logan's depression so openly made the emptiness in my soul ache, and it encouraged me to seek help. It was such a God thing, how I found you on Facebook, but it was all in his will. I pray every day for you and your family. Logan is in heaven, resting in God's arms, and feeling no pain anymore. One day, I'll be there too, but for now, I'm fighting to stay here until the Lord calls me home. I have you to thank for that. Mental health has such a negative stigma, but I'm so grateful you've helped to change that. Your words are reaching more people than you know. I can't wait for your book. I'll be one of the first people in line to read it. God bless you. December 31st, 2018. A huge pet peeve of mine is when something great happens to people and they follow it with God is so good. They got the job. God is good. Their day twisted from bad into something not expected. God is good. Their cancer is gone. God is so good. While I believe that he is good, I feel like by saying these things, we portray him as only being good when things are great and life is going well. This makes people feel estranged, and it also makes it easier for them to turn away from faith. What I want people to hear is that God is good all the time. God isn't good just because we get that job. And I'm not saying we have to go around being excited when things go bad, like we didn't get the job either. But he's good because he grieves and mourns with us and carries us as he's redeeming our pain and healing our hearts. I think he is super sad for the things that we struggle with and never plans or wants an unfortunate event to happen. I've had to continue to navigate through life, figuring out why God is good when you get to celebrate holidays with your son while mine is dead of his own hand. But I continue to be confirmed that he can always make something good come from what we perceive as bad or even life-ending. When we trust that we don't know the whole story and give him the control, we allow him to navigate the journey and have that hope that he'll take care of the things along the way. This isn't it. This isn't the whole story. Unfortunately, it's not always revealed to us the seeds we plant. But this morning, I found this message in my Facebook inbox. I hope you cry with me as you read it and celebrate that Logan's life-ending story made a difference for another mom's precious daughter. Something really, really good came from something unimaginable. Hashtag grateful. Hashtag hope. Hashtag God is good all the time. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. December 31st, 2018. Dear Logan, I have been thinking I would write a letter to you at one year. I've thought about it over the months many times and what it would contain. Only it's one year later and I'm still not even sure what to say. I want to put so much into words, but they don't come to me. Of course, there is the typical plea that you know how much I loved you, how much I do love you, and how much I will always love you. But it still seems inconceivable that you are not here 
and that it's a letter I have to convey my feelings through. Written words rather than just being able to hold you and look you in the eye. And the reality that you won't even be reading this. It's really just for me because it's supposed to help my pain. And many people think you will hear it, but I don't. My hope is that you are in heaven and I know there is no sorrow or pain in that great place. So no way you know what's going on down here. Every time I think about what to say, my mind flutters away to thoughts about the events and then on to what I could have done. And then I just see your face as you walked upstairs that last time I saw you and hurts in a way I can't articulate. It's just all hurt for me right now. What if time doesn't do what it's supposed to do? What if these moments are always only remembered as heartache? Logan, I will work hard at remembering you with compassion and not letting suicide define you. Time is such a dimension, a weird phenomenon I'm trying to understand. In so many ways, it seems like the events happened just a few weeks ago. And in that same stream of thoughts, it feels like it's been so many years. How do you have both? Logan, I've never experienced so many emotions that clash and seem so opposite. How can one experience things on such conflicting spectrums at the same time or in the same minutes, hours, or days? This is the confusing part of grief. Logan, we are surviving, but what does that really even mean? Because we get out of bed and put on clothes and shop for food? We might do those things, but we don't like it. In fact, we hate it. This has completely defined our lives now in every way. I don't say that to make you feel guilty or bad. I say it as my way of expressing how much you meant to us. You acknowledged you knew you were loved in your letter, but I still don't think you had any idea. Saying you hoped our lives would get better? Still, one thing I hold on to is that we can't blame you. In the end, you weren't yourself, and so you can't be held accountable. I wished early on you would have realized you had the support system and then learned coping skills and your pain threshold, but that didn't happen. Your clothes were in the dryer. I don't think you planned it that day, except that you couldn't get out of that dark moment like you had potentially before. I can't understand why that didn't happen for you. I just can't. There are the times we've been able to function on the outside through routines and days and events like before, only it takes so much effort. I literally can't do anything without embodying you, your face, what you would think or do. Would you be on this trip with me? Where would you be living? Would you eat this rare meal I prepared? Would you buy me a birthday card this year? Would you be excited about this or that? Or would depression still have a hold on you? I usually think happy things because I always had hope for you. I always thought the next day, the next event would be the new beginning for you. I never saw it being over before it starting new. After a year of analyzing over and over, my biggest regret, it's that I didn't ask you, Logan, are you thinking of taking your life? In the last days, I felt your pain somehow. It's like your questions of life ran through my soul like they were mine. I predicted your thoughts 
and even verbalized some of them to my good friend from work on the day you ended them. I didn't understand completely at the time my worry, and I wasn't sure if what I was feeling was real or just another mother's overanalyzing. But somehow I still knew. It wasn't a typical worry for me, but I guess I didn't know how to respond to it. At work, I always teach parents to go with their gut, but I didn't go with mine. I pride myself on communicating, but I failed you. I failed my own son. I know your refusal to get help limited us from giving it, but now I am trying to cope and turn from saying how guilty I feel to calling them regrets, because that's what the books and the therapists say to do. It works some of the time. All I keep asking for is enough peace to get me through until the next day. I say I can't find the words, and then all the things that are different come rushing in, crushing my heart to where it actually hurts like physical pain. I think I thought this letter would contain all those things you needed to know that are different now, the missing pieces, updates on specific aspects of our life, and maybe even how I see life differently. But honestly, that letter would never end. The list is not only already too long, but things get added daily. There's no room outside my brain for sharing all the loss, so I just shared a few things floating around. I remember the many talks we had when your dad and I were concerned about you. We always ended with a hug, and I love you. I want to end this that way again, only I can't hug you. Suicide is an unfinished conversation, but I'm going to finish it by telling your story because the needs of the living take precedence. You learn a lot about someone when they're gone, and I can imagine you would be okay with that. You wanted to help people. I'm still trying to figure out what is left, knowing what is gone, but I'm hanging on to what is to come. What of your story is possible to save others? I love you so, so much. Mom.